Massive influences shape the way we see ourselves. Family, friends, church, spiritual beliefs, school, and early formative experiences all play big roles in forming our sense of identity. But what about popular culture? Hey everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host for The Plugged In Show. Focus on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, technology, and your family. We're glad you're here with us today. You know, identity is a big thing in our culture right now. It's a word that encompasses how we see and understand ourselves and our place in the world. And today, perhaps more so than ever, celebrities, stars, and popular culture can play a huge role in shaping our sense of who we are, what's normal, and where we fit in the world. So our Plugged In Show team is going to be talking about that today. Speaking of talking, we would invite you to join our discussion as well. So be sure to let us know what you think about our conversation by emailing us at team, that's T-E-A-M, at thepluggedinshow.com. We want to hear from you. So let's dive in. Joining me for today's conversation are Bob Hoos, Jonathan McKee, Emily Clark, Paul Acey. All right. I'm glad you're all here today for our icebreaker. And it's, I've got about eight inches of snow right now, so it seems appropriate to have an icebreaker. Yeah, snowbreaker. <laughs> snowbreaker. Exactly. I've got a two-parter, so I'm going to ask both questions and you can respond to both of them. When you were growing up, what celebrity, maybe a singer, maybe an actor, maybe an athlete, did you identify with? And what was it about that person that you really connected with? Oh, that, that's easy. Uh, Sylvester Stallone, because okay. he was so ripped and muscular, and I was <laughs> so ripped and muscular, and and beat other people up all the time, and that was okay. Oh, oh, my oh I'm goodness. sorry. Wait, that was my dream. That was not that was who I actually dream. who I was. Oh, that's a completely <laughs> different question. That is. Oh, I am sorry. I apologize. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, Urkel, I identified with him. No, I, I don't know. No, I honestly, uh, growing up for me, uh, I, I, I had got teased quite a bit as a, as a young lad. And, uh, but I really, you know, I always, so whenever I watched a show and there was that one character who was the kid who was like teased and bullied, but then he, at the end, you know, uh, you know, somehow got back, like, I'll go back to the eighties here. Okay. There was a film called my bodyguard. And oh, in my yeah. bodyguard, I just, yep. I, I thought that was the coolest movie ever because there was this young guy who ended up, you know, befriending this other big guy who was able to help him and kick other people's butts, you know? And for me, man, I tell you, when you, when you get pounded on and teased every day, you, you know, you just can't help, but kind of think sometimes what if it wasn't that way? So for me, man, I, I, the movie, my bodyguard was kind of like that dream. Like, yeah, what if it wasn't even like, could I be big? It was like, could I just know somebody big? I just need to know somebody big. That's it. That's all I need. All right. Thanks, Jonathan. No, I think that you have a really great point, Jonathan, because I, I think that when you grew up kind of when we did in the 80s, you know, transferring into the into the 90s or whatnot, I don't think that you found a lot of really great role models for, you know, kind of scrawny, weird kids like maybe you and I were. Um, <laughs> you know, you you have some people who you wanted to be like, but you didn't necessarily find a lot of great role models like the people who you could say, okay, that feels enough like me that I could I could feel like them, yeah. where I could be like them. 
so for me, it was it was really I had to get my role models from in some ways or or sympathize with people from books. And I think that the biggest influences, character influences on my life were probably the the guys from uh, Chronicles of Narnia, you know, used oh. scrub and Shasta. Um, Diggory, um, those types of people, you didn't know what they looked like, but you kind of knew how they felt because it was it was this written work. And so you could sort of dive into their mindset and you could say, oh yeah, that is sort of the way I feel sometimes. And so for me, it really had to go, I just didn't see anyone in movies or TV who really felt like me, but in books, especially the Chronicles of Narnia, those, those were the people who I, who I kind of associated with. So I'm just going to jump off of what Paul is saying. Uh, But for me, it wasn't Chronicles of Narnia so much. It was more Lord of the Rings. Mm. Um, I did, and I still do, relate to every single Hobbit. (laughs) (laughs) All of them. All of them. Second breakfast and funny looking feet and just lots of good food and sleep and the small comforts of life. (laughs) I definitely related to that. Also, I just want to say real quick, I find it funny that Jonathan mentioned Urkel because if you've seen Big Fat Liar... The actor who played Urkel, Jaleel White, hated that character. So oh, wow. I'm glad that, you know, someone can relate to him because that uh, character typecast him and he could not, he had a trouble getting other jobs after that. Trouble apparently. breaking free, yeah. yes. I think my answer is probably going to, definitely going to play into today's topic because um, uh, other than some of you who are actually looking for someone to look up to, the person that I can say I represented or, or identified with wasn't necessarily someone that would teach me great lessons. And in fact, this person probably represented some, some pretty negative traits overall. But I'd have to say that as a teen, I looked to James Bond oh, and wow. wished I could be a, a, li- a little like him. Yeah. You, you know, I mean, I mean it, was, it, was, uh, it was the whole idea of the incredible cars, these gorgeous, adoring women and uh, these fancy make-believe spy gadgets and stuff. I, I mean, he was suave, brilliant. He could do anything. And, you know, I, I, obviously, I never, I never really went down that path. But, uh, but Oh, but you're as the dreams team, bond of our department, I think. That's Let's right. just be oh, that's right. I've, I mean, right down to the I've got a gadget are. for every, every problem. But anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, the, the thing was that uh, for as a teen, that was sort of – that person, you know, that that was what it would be like to grow up and be really cool. Yeah. Well, now wait a second. Of course, and of course, I, I, I don't have to mention for anybody who knows James Bond that I'm. I mean, the Sean Connery. Right. Bond. You're not I talking mean, about Roger Moore. That, that's exactly. No, only, that's only, exactly what I was going to ask: is which one? Yeah, the only. The only true Bond. Okay. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh that's my goodness. Cast for another that's day. Cast. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, we could do one on that. You know, as I thought about this, I think, um, and we're going to talk about this a, a little bit more uh, later on, there's identify with in the sense of this person is like me and identify with in the sense of I would like to be like this person. Um, and for me, it was John Bon Jovi, and I'm just going to go there. And <laughs> um, I felt like when I saw the video for you give love a bad name in August of 1986. It was like my eyes were open to the knowledge of good and evil, although mostly evil. 
in retrospect. Um, I don't know. I was a, I was a secure, insecure, geeky kid. And there was something um, palpable about, I don't know, just that whole scene, not just him, but the whole hair metal scene. And it was something that I wasn't. And so I didn't identify with him in terms of somebody who I was like, but somebody who was about as unlike me as possible. Kind of going back to what you were saying, Jonathan, early on, you know, with Sylvester Stallone. And and I think that we're going to talk about this some more. There's that dichotomy between these people are like me and these people are unlike me. So let me use that as a segue into our main segment today. And we're going to talk about how popular culture shapes our identity, our sense of self. Sure. You know, each week we sift through all kinds of stuff on the internet and in our culture to keep our finger on the pulse of what's happening about what people are thinking and talking about. And this week, uh, our very own Paul AC came across a fascinating article in the New York times magazine that really lit the fuse for our conversation today about how pop culture shapes our identity. And weirdly enough, this was a first person profile about weird Al Yankovic. And if you remember, he was the guy and we remember him from the eighties, but he actually has had a very successful four decade career parodying, um, everything in pop culture, you know, starting with Michael Jackson and Madonna and just going down through the decades, he's just kept at it. Um, We're not really going to talk about Weird Al today, but a couple of quotes from Sam Anderson's lengthy piece got Paul and I to talking this week, and we're going to continue that conversation here. So kind of like some of us, Anderson talks about having a pretty rough childhood as a kid who was a bedwetter. He got sick all the time. He was anxious and poor and got treated nastily by girls. And he said that he had a strong sense that he wasn't, quote, normal. Hmm. And then he said, you know, where did that sense of normalcy come from? And he says it was from TV. He says, quote, the idea of normalcy to the boy, and he's talking about himself in the third person, came mostly from television. It was some vague constellation of money, crowds, hair gel, brand name jackets, and confidence, the kind of glittering ease that animated the great American mainstream, visible in its sitcoms and movies and slow motion basketball highlights, and perhaps most of all in its music videos. Weirdness, by contrast, meant everything from the boy's own life, chubbiness, loneliness, boredom, clunky glasses, off-brand clothing, frozen bananas dipped in carob, lawn darts in his grandmother's backyard. And so his eventual joy in discovering Weird Al was that he had found somebody just as weird as himself Hmm. whom he could identify with. And he says, Weird Al had flipped the polarities of weirdness and normalcy. We had made it into the TV. We, meaning those who felt like he did, were normal. So, esteemed plugged-in panel... How do you think our popular culture encodes and sends messages about what's normal and how do kids receive those messages? Man, I think that's such a great question. And and I think it is interesting how times have changed because I think one thing we have seen in the last even decade is kind of how the nerd culture is cool, you know, where it used yeah, to not be, you that's know, changed. And, and, and it almost is this, you know, Hey, if, if you're nerdy or whatever, embrace that, that's a good thing. And, um, so 
I don't know if that necessarily is played out uh, on a campus when it actually comes to, you know, some poor young seventh grade guy in the locker room when all the other guys are there as well. You know, if then if it is being cool, being a nerd, probably not. It probably still is time to get, you know, slapped around. Not like, no, you're nerdy. You are cool. You know, uh, but but it is interesting how in movies and in TV shows, you'll constantly see that theme come out. And I think social media has definitely played into that because a lot of people, you know, I mean, we live in a culture where 86% of young people want to be an influencer of some sort. So a lot of what young people are looking at now isn't the TV set, but, you know, who's big on TikTok and who's big on YouTube. And, you know, you look at some of these YouTube stars, you know, you look at the, you know, PewDiePie's and it's funny. It's interesting. I think it's a little bit different with girls and guys because with girls, it still is sometimes the very pretty and glamorous uh, you know, sadly, there's that almost that sexualization that happens where you almost have to be that that pretty perfect thing as a female. There's some exceptions. But for guys, you know, sometimes very often it's that nerdy, funny, goofy, whatever that people can identify with. And people are going to social media for that. So you're kind of saying that the standards of what is normal aren't quite as much of the dichotomy between the super cool and the super nerdy that that the author was talking about in the article. Well, I, I think that it's, you know, you'd look back to the days of Weird Al. I mean, think of where he saw Weird Al. And again, depending on which decade, because is he talking, you know, uh, like a surgeon Weird Al, or is he talking Amish Paradise uh, Weird Al? Those are, right. those right. are two. He's been, <laughs> he's been viable in, in four, four decades. Yeah, literally. exactly. Yeah. You know, so, but if he happened to be seeing the first Weird Al when it was, TV and whatever, it wasn't on demand. It was only right. when it was on. And now young people are carrying a device in their pocket where at any time they pop out and who is trending on TikTok, who is trending on YouTube. And that has kind of changed things. So sometimes we've seen some of these more creative types become popular, at least on social media. And in a world where the majority of people want to be that, that's a, that's a huge influence. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right, Jonathan. I think that one of the interesting things that, that I think is happening now that didn't happen when we were growing up way years, years ago is is this idea that a lot of the, the goofy, geeky kids that, that we were growing up with, they're now the creators. And so I think that, that sometimes these alienated, these geeky type of people that we see on screen, that was them. And so, so we're seeing that they're making stories about these people. Um, you know, reviewing TV, Emily and I review a ton of TV. And when you see kids shows over and over and over and over again, they they sort of reinforce this idea that it's okay to be different. It's okay to be different from from all your classmates. And I think that that comes with a lot of good, a little bit of bad too. But I think that there's more of an acceptance for being just a little bit off the beaten path today that we didn't see back in our day. You know, another aspect of how TV has impacted us or or changed things as we've gone along and, and impacted our popular culture. I, I think we need to, first of all, sort of look back to the, to some historical stuff, you know, when you think about, cause I, cause I want to talk about how it's changed our families. And mm. I think, I mm. think um, if you look back at like the fifties and sixties and seventies, there, there was this 
fairly uniform presentation of of what the American family looked like. You know, sure, uh, kids with patient parents, and in particular, they had this hardworking dad that the kids could look up to. You know, and, I, and I'm talking about shows like um, Leave It to Beaver, Andy Griffith's show, you know, My Three Sons, and all the way up to uh, Little House on the Prairie, The Waltons, things like that. All through that period, there was this sort of look up to dad vibe in the shows themselves. And then and then right around the 70s, things started changing. And I, and I think it's I think it all started with All in the Family. Mm. You know, that show when, when that came out, that, that show pushed up against a number of cultural barriers and, and, you know, really positive ways, too. But it also started that dad is a bumbling buffoon trend that <laughs> that you know, started there and then reinforced sure. this completely different fi- family dynamic when you stop think about it. I mean, from there on out, dads became these, these selfish, immature clowns who had a tough time understanding what other people's point of view was, you know, and, and, and I, all, all I'm saying with all that is that I think, I think that transition into this new form of what dad looks like and what the family looks like really impacted kids a lot and have mm. gotten to the point where they've it's reshaped how we as American public sort of look at the family. And mm. I think I think that's something that you, you can't ignore. You know, I think that's a really, really interesting point. I've 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 talked with a lot of people who say they grew up in in kind of different dysfunctional families where a dad wasn't present or just barely present or something, and they got their sense of of what it looked like to be a normal family from TV. You know, the Brady Bunch comes up over and over yeah. again. How they would watch yeah. these Brady Bunch reruns, and that that to them felt like family. There was this move, like right when you're saying All in the Family came out, and then there was this wave of shows that said, let's not show what families should be. Let's show families as they are. And, and so there was this move toward toward realism that I think a lot of people sort of embraced. They they saw themselves in these in these characterizations, these portrayals. But in so doing, because there's always this aspirational quality to to entertainment all of a sudden that became what people aspired to be you know and it was it wasn't necessarily intended to be that but because because we do look for validation in what things should be from the entertainment culture that we have you know all of a sudden that became sort of aspirational when it wasn't intended yeah yeah but i would argue if i may bounce off that paul uh, i would argue that it was intentional in many cases from the creators, the people that were creating these programs, because what, what did they want with this sort of thing, like with an all in the family? They wanted a sense of social change. And, and it's, 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 in it's some really, cases, yeah. It's, and and, and it's, if you take the focus off uh, a mature parent who can point the kids toward you know, these insightful ideas and and leadership that sort of thing and guiding them along and you and you put all the emphasis on kids being the brilliant ones then that changes things because let's face it young young people are a lot more malleable when it comes to things like social change sure. whereas whereas older people of parents adults they take a little bit more time they're a little bit more thoughtful they say well, well hold on 
let's think about this a minute. And and that's not what we want to have happen, or at least what the creators wanted to have happen. They wanted this change to take place. Well, it's interesting because what you say here, Bob, I love it, is, you know, we're no, this noticed segue from Ward Cleaver to Homer Simpson. You know, there's this there's this yeah. noticeable, hey, this used to be what's ideal, but let's look at what really is or, or maybe more, you know, and, and you could even see that segue happen from the 90s to the 2000s. You got Gilmore Girls to now all of a sudden Modern Family or, or whatever. Um, I think it's interesting, uh, uh, youth culture guru Walt Mueller talks about how entertainment media is either a map or a mirror, and very often it's both. And so you take a show, and if you look at something um, like A Modern Family, you know, I'm sure that the creators would claim this is just a mirror of what society is. We're just trying to show a real glimpse of what family looks like today. But whether intentionally or unintentionally, it also becomes a map. It becomes a, this is okay. This is what you can do. And it's interesting because you see that happen throughout culture all the time. I mean, you go back to, you know, you know, all these influencers from Madonna to whatever, you'd see that the way they acted, young people emulated because they thought, I want to be that. It, you know, it wasn't just a mirror of here's the way it is, but it was a map of here's the way it can be. And so that's one thing we have to notice as we see some of this stuff, young people, when they look at stuff, even if the creators are claiming that it's simply a mirror, uh, it is a map and very often has imitatable behaviors that young people emulate. Oh, absolutely. It is, it is a hundred percent, you know, marketers and the media trying to shape how kids act and how kids relate to the culture. And I mean, like when you, you were talking about social media influencers earlier, all I can think is when I, when I see social media influencers, they're supposed to be these real natural people, but 99% of what they're doing on there is advertising. These aren't, and a lot of times it's not even the most talented person who's a social media influencer. You know, we have actors and musicians and singers and models and stuff who are all very talented at what they do, but then you have social media influencers and what they're good at is marketing themselves. They're good at mark advertising this lifestyle and saying, this is how I live or how I want you to think I live. And therefore this is how you should live. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I think <clears throat> with all of these examples, we have a context, right? And the context may change over time, but at any given snapshot of our culture, there is a portrait of what normal looks like. And that portrait of normalcy may have some positive things and it may have some negative things. It's not that it's all good or all bad, but at any given moment, uh, children growing up in that moment are internalizing all sorts of messages um, about who they're supposed to be, about what they think is supposed to be important, about what their values are. And it just comes out. You know, we, we sometimes make jokes about generational differences. And certainly millennials have taken it on the chin the last few years. Uh, I'm sorry, Emily, your, your generation is an easy target, maybe, perhaps unfairly, but, but there are generational differences. And there are values that different generations have internalized, not because there was some sort of formal indoctrination process, 
but simply because it's there in the ethos of the day, which gets communicated through popular culture. In the intro, I mentioned several other social contexts uh, that influence our sense of identity, family, friends, church, school. And we've talked about this a little bit already, but where do you think popular culture fits in terms of shaping identity in relationship to those other influences today? No matter which other influence you're looking at, all those other influences are also being influenced by pop culture. So it's it's almost like you can't get away from it. You know, you go okay. to school, you're hanging out with your friends. They're all being influenced by, you know, their idols and identifying with people on social media or TV or whatever. You go to church and you have people who are being influenced, maybe not necessarily by secular influences, but by Christian ones at the very least. Uh, you look at your parents um you know, like I'm, I'm a huge Star Wars fan, but that's because my parents were influenced by Star Wars growing up. It's not because it, Star Wars was this brand new thing that came about when I was a kid. It's something that mm. I grew up with. And so it's like, even, even within the home, I was being influenced by pop culture. It just wasn't necessarily the modern, the most up-to-date pop culture. Hmm. Okay. I think that's really, really valid. I love that. And I, for me, I honestly think even though, you know, studies, you look at study after study after study, and they say that pop culture comes down the list a little bit, you know, moms and dads are still huge influences in their kids' lives. Their, their peer groups are obviously very, very influential. But, but for my mind, when I think about me growing up, I think pop culture was right at the top of the list, you know, mm. because... Uh, in some ways, mom and dad, they shared some really good messages to me and, and really validated who I was. And, and that's something I, I, I truly treasure. But at the same time, growing up, I was a little suspicious of them because they had to love me. I mean, they were my parents, right? right? So because of that, you know, and my, my kids, they liked me, me okay. <laughs> my friends liked me okay even though i was a little bit strange so for me pop culture was sort of like this um it wasn't influenced by what it thought of me it just told what i thought at the time was the truth and so because of that a lot of my my self-validation was filtered through that pop culture lens because i it felt like a true reflection of society even though of course it wasn't at all well, it is interesting yeah. how that's changed also just because pop culture now might not just be what Hollywood says pop culture is, but it's kind of more this grassroots, you know, uh, this social media influencer thing has made it to where almost like anybody can now be the influencer and yep. wants to be, you know, where it used to be, you know, in the eighties, you know, you might've thought Patrick Dempsey, you know, was the coolest thing. Cause in can't buy me love, he was, you know, for me again, the nerdy character, <laughs> the guy who mows the lawns, who ends yeah, up, you know, yeah. dating the prettiest yeah. girl, you know, a guy like me was like, Oh, that's awesome. But there was almost this kind of this like dismissal of, well, that's Hollywood. That's so far removed from reality, you know, in a way, where today, if you see something on your little screen, it might be some other guy just like you who made it big time on that screen. So you almost kind of feel like I could be that. And what's sad is also I could do that because a lot of what some of these guys are doing is going to crazy means and doing stuff 
uh, that, you know, whatever it takes to become popular. And so that that's one of the influences we have to be aware of as parents. And we need to have that relationship with our kids where we could talk with them about this reality and have these dialogues so we can ground them in truth when the lies are within such easy grasp today. You know, that's where I want to sort of stick the landing here today, Jonathan. I think all of us would admit quickly that we're living in a time that's more complex than it was 30 years ago. There are more avenues for entertainment and ideas and culture to come at us than ever before. All of those have the ability to influence and shape us. And And I want to touch on what Paul said too. Um, there, There is a lot of research that shows that parents have enormous influence in their kids' lives, maybe even more than they realize. But I think as parents, right. it's easy for us to feel intimidated by the culture. We can think that I can't understand it. My kids don't want to listen to me. Um, I'm irrelevant. I mean, there are all sorts of lies, like you just said, Jonathan, that as parents, we can choose to believe. And so I think part of our job as parents, as we help our kids navigate this world of pop culture, is really to be engaged with them enough to know what they're interested in, who they like. Hmm. Uh, And I think a really interesting question that we can ask our kids is, you know, who do you identify with in this story? Or why do you identify with this particular artist? You know, if they like Billie Eilish, you know, what is it about Billie Eilish that, you know, you really like? If one of my parents or a church leader would have asked me when I was 16, you know, what's interesting to you about Bon Jovi? You know, I might've resisted some at first cause I'm cool in 16 or not cool in 16. Um, <laughs> That's right. But I would have been thrilled that somebody actually cared about what I was interested in. And so That's I awesome. think as parents, we can continue to step into our kids' worlds um, by helping them with this question of identity and what they identify with. And we don't have to be intimidated And it doesn't mean it's always going to be perfect and our kids are going to have, you know, my three sons moments with us. Uh, That may or may not happen, but there's an opportunity to keep building relationship in a way that really does enable us to continue to Mm -hmm. have a significant influence in their lives. Hmm. So what about you? Who did you identify with when you were growing up? How did those people shape your sense of who you are and where you fit in the world? Send us an email with your thoughts on today's show at team at thepluggedinshow.com. And on the episode page for today's show, you'll also find a link to that New York Times magazine profile of Weird Al. I know some of you, it's okay. You're secretly interested in this. And trust me, it's actually a pretty good article on this whole idea of identity and, and this relationship with popular culture. And before we wrap things up today, let me encourage you to subscribe to The Plugged In Show wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying our conversations, share the link to the show and let your friends know about us because a good conversation always has room for more participants. Thanks again for spending some time with us today. We are glad that you have taken the time to enter into this conversation and we look forward to another great talk with you next week on The Plugged In Show. Plugged In.